JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, a familiar face, certainly with success in the past in Buffalo as a free agent signed in this offseason. Wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie of the Colts joins us. Isaiah, thank you for the time. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but I'm doing just finished practice, enjoying my day. I want to know how things, at least through this acclimation process, are going for you so far because you spent a lot of really good years in Buffalo, and you probably just don't snap out of it and back into it that quickly. How's it going? Uh, it was going pretty well. The transition, you know, it was, like I said, it was a bittersweet moment when I left Buffalo, but the transition has been, you know, going pretty well. Coming in here with the guys, new guys, meeting new guys, being on a new team, and just getting familiar with the office, the coaches, and things like that. It's been a you know pretty good transition so far, so I have no complaints. You know your, your numbers, we can see right. We can see what you have done in the past. But here's what I really like, Isaiah. I like seeing how much evidently you've been missed in Buffalo because to me that is the impression that you've had on that community as a part of that team for the years you were up there too that has to still right now feel feel very special to you does it not it is very special you know I I feel like I did some good things in Buffalo and on the field and off the field and I felt like I've, I've enjoyed I feel like my personality and my our aura in the building and outside the building, you know, was felt. My presence was felt, you know, in in that city, in the city of Buffalo, and in that locker room. And I think a lot of people appreciate that, and I appreciate them for appreciating me. And um, and I was there for a while, so, you know, it was it was it was awesome living there. It was amazing playing there. Fan base is incredible. You know, I love it. I love the city. You know, city of brotherly love, and you know they show nothing but love, and I appreciate them. Yeah, it, it that's something you notice though, and I'm sure you do too as well, right? I mean, they still give you love there, just like you're still on the team. That impression yeah. just had to be incredibly special. Yeah, yeah, that it had it. It was, but it is special. It, it, it will continue to be special. I'll always be a fan of Buffalo, you know, on and off the field. And um, like, like you said, um, every you know, all the feedback I'm beginning things. I still communicate with Bills Mafia. I still talk to <laughs> you know the players on the team and things like that. So, you know, my yeah, I, you know, I still have a, there's a piece of me still in Buffalo, but I understand what I have to do in Indianapolis, and I'm going to give them everything I have. Yeah, I have that impression here too. Isaiah McKenzie, the wide receiver of the Colts, kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did you consider yourself, uh, especially midway through to the end of your time in Buffalo, as a vocal team leader? Uh, yeah, you know, just keeping everybody up, keeping everybody encouraged and up high. You know, think this. You know, when the season gets in the middle and towards the end, a lot of things can go down. You know, your, your, like I just your emotions and everything's like you're just feeling different. You know what I'm saying you're tired, you're hurting, you're in pain, you're mentally drained, and I understand. I feel like I just keep the energy. You know, and throughout the whole building and throughout the whole season, you know, from the start to finish, and um, I just keep that energy in the weight room, the locker room, on the field, in the in the meeting rooms, and even even at home. I just try to keep the same energy so I can keep those guys up and things like that. But they also help me, you know, when I'm down, and um, that's you know that's just a, a an infectious thing. If you can give out positive energy, it will come back to you. Is that something you would like to do? You would would you like to see what you did in in Buffalo uh, on and off the field translate to where you are now, your new place here in Indy? Oh, for sure, for sure, most definitely. And I and I and when I got here, I just told myself and my fiance and everybody, I was like, look, I'm I want to change the culture. You know what I'm saying? And and that culture is, you know, to and don't get me wrong, the coach organization, they've they've won games, they they 
won a Super Bowl, things like that. They had Payne Manning. They had Hall of Famers come through here. And, you know, some sometimes some people need – some organizations just need a reboot. And I want to be a part of that reboot, you know, just like it was in Buffalo in 2018 when I got there. Um, coming here, I just want to be that reboot, that one guy that can, you know, change up the locker room, change the the personality in the locker room, make – bring energy each and every day, and then on the field make plays and help the team win. Isaiah McKenzie joins us. Still youth, obviously, with your wide receiving room there, too, with Alec Pierce, with Michael Pittman Jr. We'll talk about them in a second. What what so far is your impression on your 20-year-old youthful rookie of a quarterback out of Florida? Uh, well, he's, uh, I've been practicing with the last two days, and um, he looked, he looked pretty good. Everything you know, he can throw the ball. He's he's big. He can run, things like that. And and I'm I'm ready to see more. You know, we go against the defense next week in phase three, and um, I want to see how you know see how, see him out there throwing, chopping up the defense, running on the defense, and um, making plays. So not, right now, I'm 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 very impressed. I'm uh, not trying to compare the two whatsoever, but what you just explained kind of piqued my interest, and I want you maybe to elaborate on a little bit. Did you see kind of the same thing, those that step-by-step process from the youth to the success with Josh Allen in Buffalo? I'm not trying to compare the games whatsoever, uh-huh. but just the growth and the maturation. Did you see that in Buffalo from Josh Allen? And is that kind of what you're looking for here with Anthony Richardson? Um. For sure, it's it's it has potential to be that way. And um, like I said, it's been two days, so I haven't really seen him, you know, him that much. But from what I've saw, he's he has all the intangibles, he has the the physical abilities and all that and all that. But um, I will see him. I'll have to see him, you know, a year from now, and to, and can tell you that. But I will say with Josh, I did see him grow and um, mentally, physically, and he just, you know, it looked different every year. Every day, he, every year he looked different. He looked better. And he improved on the game that they. Some people would say that he didn't have, you know. Um, and I feel like that's what Richardson Richardson can do as well. And um, but maybe he has those intangibles that nobody will ever say anything about him. But there's always there's always going to be something. But we don't know yet. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how successful he can be. What was the most impressive part of that maturation? with Josh Allen that you saw while you were in Buffalo? I mean, the one that really stood out maybe more so than anything else. Um, to be honest, I would say it's kind of hard to put one thing yeah. in the place because everything about him grew, like I said, mentally and physically. Like A lot of people would say, oh, he's inaccurate. And then he goes out there in 2019 and 2020 and – 2021, 20, and make it to the playoffs, win the division, and it's like, and he's throwing the ball, he's throwing for 3,000 plus yards and 30 plus touchdowns, and like you're like, okay, well, you know, it don't look like he's inaccurate, or they say they say he gets in his own head and things like that, and it's like, well, it doesn't look like he's in his own head. He's taking over games, he's controlled, he's controlled many environments, many situations, and I feel like there's a couple of those are a couple of things that I saw him mature and you know, many ways. But I can't just put one finger on yeah. one thing. I Yeah, I probably phrased that crap. Um, I'll rephrase. When did you see or notice the game slowing down for him? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Uh, I would say 2020. 2020 when Stephon Diggs came along and, you know, it was I was yeah. there, Kobe, it was there, John Brown, Gabe came, and Gabe got drafted that year. Isaiah Hodgins was drafted that year. And I felt like, it got slower from him because him and Dayball had that chemistry and they had the understanding of, you know, what needed to be done in 2020. And that's when I really seen him jump off the porch. You know, when we were going down to Miami, beating them 30 to zero, we go play, we play Houston, we beat them something to almost nothing. And then like, it was like, okay, Josh is really understanding. He was sharing the football to everyone. He was, you know, not making mistakes. He was just, he wasn't in his own head. He was just doing, everything was clicking for him. And you can tell, like, he was maturing and he was getting better as as the season went on and as years came along, he got better and better. So I would say 2020. He is Isaiah McKenzie with us. You just struck, I think, on a very important point that I, I try to make on here, and certainly I want you to elaborate on that. With a young quarterback, like you've already been through in Buffalo and like you're going through right now in Indy, you can't have enough dudes like you. 
others like you. But you mentioned that that wide receiving group, you know, that roster in Buffalo that helped Josh Allen along. The same to me holds true here. How important will you be and others and having as many weapons as possible at the disposal for a very young quarterback to mature and get better, hopefully sooner rather than later? Um, I just feel, I feel like, you know, for me, you know, being, I'm going into year seven, you know, thank God, but, um, just going to year seven for me, from, from what I can give to, you know, Anthony Richardson, or what I would, you know, just say to him and speak to him and try to give him advice the best way I can. What I would say is, you know, just try to talk to him about situations, talk to him about, you know, you know, moments and, handling adversity and things like that because like I said like you said we will say I was there with Josh and that's how he handled it and I can kind of try to tell him like hey this is how Josh handled it or this is how I seen quarterbacks come through Buffalo and how they handle situations and whatnot but for him I feel like a lot of guys just gotta I would say don't do too much talking but if he need if it looks like he needs help help him and I want to be there to help him if he does need the help. You know, whether it's want to watch film, hey, I want to know how how you see this route thrown, how you're going to run this route so I can be I can be there, so I can get the ball there and you can be there for me. And I can make – I also can make him look good in, in certain areas of the game, you know, in certain situations. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Pitt can do the same thing. Alec, his second year, he's going to do a lot of things. And then Doolin, Ashton Doolin as well, you know, I feel like we can all just come together and talk to him and say, hey, look, as your receiver core, we want to help you until you say you don't need help anymore or until we feel like you got it. Yeah, it's, uh, I listen, I completely agree with that, too. That's well put. Isaiah McKenzie of the Colts, the wide receivers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So you got, you got the negative news in March. How quickly did you get the positive news? How quickly, for example, were the Colts on you when they found out you had that availability? Uh, I think very quick. It was Raiders, Giants. It was uh, Colts. Um, uh, Minnesota, um, and like two other teams, I think. But like the Colts were like, you know, we really, you know, we really because Paris Campbell left and things like that. And then you know, I'm pretty sure they were looking around, and then um, you know they were just after me. And I'm kind of like, hey, if they're after me, I'm, I don't mind going there. I mean, everybody talked about the season. Not everybody talked about, it, but like the last season didn't go too well. But hey, I've come from a winning organization. I done some good things on the field and in the locker room. I feel like I can come here and, you know, get it back up and get it back up and running. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it w- was, uh, was that w- – what made this the best decision for you? The be- I feel like I wanted to start new. And I feel like, you know, any I f- obviously anywhere else would be new because I was in Buffalo for so long. But just starting here and just coming to an organization where, you know, everybody wants to win. I'm pretty sure every organization wants to win. But I feel like – being here with Pitt, Alec, those young guys, and helping them out. Also, now we have the young quarterback, and and Coach Steichen is amazing. Coach Jim Bob is awesome, you know. And I can go down the I got I can go down the list of the coaches that are here. That from so far these past few weeks I've been with them, they've been they've been awesome. They've been a great help, and that just makes me want to be here more now that I'm here. You know, even before that, it was just the want them wanting me and wanting me to be here. That maybe, hey, look, I feel wanted there, so that's where I'm going. I realize that the NFL is a close knit group for the most part. How many of the guys on this team, the people within this organization, did you already know, have a relationship with? And then how much of this organization is really brand new at the early stages for you? Um, to be honest, I only kind of knew three people on the team. Three people. You know, so it's it's very brand new to me. Right. You know, so, uh, starting starting from the offense. You know, things I got to get used to the offense. Obviously, I got to get used to new coaches and things like that. And, uh, and you know, my teammates. You know, I only knew three people when I got here. Now I feel like I know everybody. Cause I'm talking to everybody. I'm, you know, we're playing around. We we at practice, you know, talking smack and things like that. So I'm getting used to everybody. And um, as far as coaches, you know, I'll go there. Sometimes I'll go to Coach – yesterday I was in Coach Steigen's office for like an hour and a half. And we was just talking about life. And just to get to know, just get to know the coaches. Coach Jim Bob, me. I haven't talked to him about life yet or anything yet, but we talked about a few plays and things like that. But I feel like for the most part, the, the, the coaches that's already been here and the coaches that are that just got here, 
Yeah. They've been cool to me, and I've been it's, it's been fun so far. That's that's cool. Isaiah McKenzie joins us. I'm very routine oriented. If I get out of it, man, I'm a kind of a mess. Does this? Were you, are you routine oriented, and has this had an effect, or are you somebody that that can move on as as you're doing right now pretty quickly? Listen, I I was I would say this. I'm not really a routine guy. <laughs> you know, it's so like I'm not really. Well, I wish I could like, be I mean, you, man, because I got to do the same damn thing every day. And my, my fiance says the same thing. She was <laughs> like, "You always, you just, you just go with the flow. You, you trial and error." I'm like, "Look, I, it works. I feel like it works for me." You know, yeah, and, um, sure. It's funny. It's funny that you say that because, I, like, we were talking about that, and uh, I was talking about that about that with Coach Steichen yesterday. He was talking. He showed me a video. Uh, a basketball coach, she's a woman's basketball coach. She was talking about, you know, how you handle hard times. It's like a lot of people, they just want to say, oh, if I get done with this, then the rest of it will be easier. And that's, that's kind of how, you know, most people live life. It's like, oh, if I do this right, or if I finish this, then the rest of it will be easier. And I live like everything's hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like, like every everything for me, like, Learn a new playbook. Coming from Buffalo for five years, I got to learn a new playbook. So I got to treat that. I got to learn that playbook the best way I can, so I can perform the best way, best of my abilities. And I feel like that's just living off trial and error. Because there was, I wasn't going to get the coach playbook while I was in Buffalo. You know, like I, w- I would have to come here, get the playbook, and learn it, and just start a, something new somewhere else. And like I said, I live in trial and error. Whatever happens, I just got to go with the flow, and I'll fix it on the run. But I can't stop. Uh, you and your fiance and I are on the same page, man. Because I'm a I'm a mess outside of the routine, I, absolute mess. But I, I wish I could be more like you. I do want to go back before I let you go. And Isaiah McKenzie joins us of the Colts. That that Monday night in January um, in Cincinnati. How often do you recollect? Do you think about that moment where you were then with your teammate Demar Hamlin and where he is and where you are with your friend today? Um, well, in that moment, I was, uh, it was, it was a very sad moment, you know, and, you know, being on the field and seeing all that happen and, you know, thank God he, he made it out and now he's living his best life. He's doing a lot of great things out in the community and I'm happy to see him come back, you know, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, he's going to play again. I'm like, I'm happy for him. I'm happy to see him come back. I'm happy to see him alive and well, breathing and enjoying his time with his family, teammates. And um, you know when 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 all that happened, it was it was it was a pretty sad moment. It was, I can't put it in words because I've ne- I never saw it before. Like I never like have never seen it on a football field happen right in front of me. And to see him, you know, fighting for his life, that was that was very sad. And uh, but like I said, now he's up and well and he's doing well. And I can't wait to see him back out there in that field. And uh, have nothing but prayer for him and um, him and his family. And I hope you know he gets everything you know he dreamed of and and is playing for. We all need that type of jovial ending. You know what? I mean, we really do. I mean, I I think we kind of live in a spot right now where you just kind of just, you know, you brace for the worst. And to have him come out of that and to be where he is, as you explain right now, um, has to make us to a person all feel better. That's, That's feel good. There's no doubt about that. Yes, sir. It's uh, Isaiah McKenzie on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and let you go here. Great conversation, man. I appreciate that. Hopefully we get to do that again as we get closer to camp and then into the season. But go out there and, and live free and day-to-day, and, and me and your fiance will be doing the same damn thing every day. <laughs> I, appreciate it. I, appreciate it. I appreciate that, brother. You got it, man. Come on anytime. Thank you, Isaiah. Thank you. It's uh, Isaiah McKenzie right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He's a really good conversation. That's fun. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Basketball news and more coming off of last night. There's a lot of stuff to get into. Of course, most of it is going to be speculation, but we live in that particular land, as does Evan Sidery of Basketball News via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What did you think about last night all in all, Evan? I think for the Pacers, John, honestly, it was a really good night. I know everyone would love to jump into the top four or even love to jump in to get Victor Wembenyama at number one overall, but... To have the Pistons fall back from one to five, I think, was a win for the Pacers. I think the Pacers staying put, not falling back any further than seven, was a win for them as well. 
because they're now in a tier at seven where I feel like the first four picks or first four prospects kind of locked in here. But then that kind of second tier of players or third tier of players, there's a couple really good fits for this Pacers team long term at really big positions and need on the wing for them. So honestly, I think it went really well for them last night in terms of everything else. I called it an entertaining loss. Now, they didn't lose anything other than not moving up at all. So they they maintained there. I called it an entertaining loss because everybody talked about wanting entertaining losses for the Pacers uh, over the course of the season. But how much from what you see leverage do they have? And I want to talk about some of that leverage, whether it's within this draft or a future draft, which I hope not, or an established type of player, which that is the direction I hope that Kevin Pritchard and company decide to go. Let's talk a little bit about some of those options that they're going to have with these selections that honestly will be more, maybe more enticing than what a lot of other NBA teams have to offer. Yeah, I think another one I forgot to mention last night was the Spurs obviously jumping to number one and then now getting number number 32 overall pick, John. So they now have four picks in the top 32. Those, those final three picks I know are really low in the first round, 26, 29, the top of the second round, 32. But those three pieces are good bargaining chips on draft night for trade downs. If you want to get a veteran, for example, with one of those picks in the late first round for a chance to try to shed some salary cap, I think that makes an awful lot of sense there too. So Kevin Pritchard's mentioned countless times optionality is the buzzword for this Pacers team. They have an awful lot of it heading into this draft. And to be quite honest, with that much artillery in the top of the first round, four in the top 32, and a, a lot of young players too, I think a lot of teams would like if you're trying to sell off some young players as well. I think the Pacers set it very well on draft night, very well in the month of July, where I would not be surprised at all if they're one of the teams that makes the most noise. So Evan Sider of Basketball News on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You thought it maybe what what could be options? You know, in terms of if they want to get back up and you know, you know, draft, for example, in the teens or, you know, late lottery, something like that, or if they want to get an established player, a productive and established player already, some of those options they might have, what that might take, who might be out there as far as what they may explore? Yeah, we can start off with the one I've talked about before, but I think now with the price that we know, it'll probably take more than this price of a couple late first-round picks, but we know the Pacers have had interest in OG and Obi in the past. I think he wants out of Toronto as well. He wants a bigger role. I think it would cost a lot more than 26 and 29, maybe a future pick outside of that as well. But we know how much of a perfect fit he would be in Indiana on the three, next to Miles Turner, next to Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. It would pay a heavy price to get OG in. And he'd probably trade maybe Chris Duarte, maybe Buddy Heald, and a couple of picks to get it done there. But he's a perfect fit here. But I think more of an underrated player, a veteran player, I've been thinking more and more about recently, has Rick Carlisle connections. This team needs to shed some salary cap to re-sign an upcoming free agent in Cam Johnson. Think about Dorian Finney-Smith, the former Dallas Mavericks player who got traded in that Kyrie Irving trade to the Brooklyn Nets, and he's a former Rick Carlisle player. Rick Carlisle has raved praise on him in the past. Great three-point shooter, a good veteran in the locker room. Just turned 30 years old. He's a great versatile player. You can start right away for your power forward. A scenario, let's say, like a number number seven overall, they take a wing, like a Cam Whitmore from Villanova or an Asar Thompson, one of the Thompson twins, at number seven overall, fill your spot, the number three hole. And you take, let's say, Dorian Finney-Smith with a 26th or 29th pick in a trade to add to your four spot there. That's a huge win-win all around for the Pacers, where I could see them kind of doing a method like that, where you take a guy at seven you really like, and then you find a veteran on the open market via trade if you want to offload one of those picks. I think a guy like Finney Smith makes a lot of sense, or if you want to pay a heavier price, a guy like OG Ananobi certainly does as well. Finney Smith, you think he slots in, works well with this team? I mean, obviously does not have a great deal of, of star power, name recognition, but somebody, as you mentioned, that has worked with Rick Carlisle before and somebody that would benefit this team on a variety of levels? Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Thaddeus Young trade from a while back when the Pacers made that trade, a late first-round pick, get Thaddeus Young in here to be a veteran leader, really help set the tone, set the culture. I think Finney Smith's kind of the same player here, a great veteran to have in the locker room. He shot 39% from three his last season with Rick Carlisle, had a down year this past year, but he's been a career plus 35% three-point shooter. He's a guy to me that can play multiple roles too. And surprisingly enough, I mean, outside of T.J. McConnell, this is a very young roster. Having a veteran like a Finney Smith enter this locker room at 30 years old would command immediate respect. And we all know, uh, there's a report out there from Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports earlier today, 
with an interesting nugget in there that said the Pacers are looking to offload one of those late first-round picks for a win-now veteran. So that kind of made me connect the dots a little bit to a guy like Finney Smith because if they're able to get a guy like him in here, a cheap bargain contract, $13 million a year the next three years, that's a guy to me where he could really help out where the Pacers, as we all know, are trying to make a playoff push next year. So he's a guy that checks a lot of boxes underratedly. All right, Evan, there's no doubt they, they need defense, uh, whether it's it's wing, on ball, whatever the case might be, they need defense. Does Finney Smith bring that along with a three-point look as well? He does, yeah. He's absolutely awesome on both things. Uh, he can be, I would say, hot and cold a little bit, but really not that much because he's not a player that needed the ball a lot. He only averaged eight points per game in Brooklyn. He averaged around 11, 12 points per game with the Dallas Mavericks, but he knows his role. He's a spot-up three-point shooter. The Pacers need more of those guys to space the floor. He can defend three or four positions, too, if need be. He has a lanky frame around 6'8 with a 7-plus foot wingspan. So he's a guy that could come in there and guard multiple positions. He's a good, tough rebounder, too, for his size as well. So he's kind of a guy to me where he kind of checks a lot of the boxes that they're looking for there, and he certainly can make a lot of sense for him. It's uh, Evan Sidery, Basketball News, Forbes, and more. Talking about the NBA draft lottery last night with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, various mock drafts. You can see anybody's name there from Anthony Black to Grady Dick. And everybody makes kind of fun of, of Grady Dick. I think it'd be great to have, you know, the last name on a Pacer jersey. That would, you know, in a minute skyrocket to the top of sales. And he can shoot the basketball, no doubt. But it doesn't look like he can guard anybody. And they're going to have to with this seventh pick. I, I think that you'll wait for somebody to come along and grow, but I think you'll want just a little bit, right? A shred of defense to be offered up here, of which Grady Dick at this point in his career probably does not offer. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure, yeah. I would be very surprised unless the worst-case scenario happens in front of them uh, from one through six, which I, I think is going to be really hard to happen with the prospects available. I have a hard time seeing them being legitimately interested in a player like Grady Dick because, like you mentioned, he's a great three-point shooter, but they need, a, they need defensive identity. Miles Turner can do it all by himself. Benedict Matherin, he's going to develop more and more to a consistent defender, but he's not nowhere close to that yet. Tyrese Halbert in the same way as well needs to improve as far as his play strength goes. So you need to add in guys, like two that make a lot of sense to me in that number seven range. Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida, Javis Walker from Houston. Javis Walker, six foot eight, 240 pounds, be one of the heaviest players for the Pacers already. He's a thick-built player. How many times have we said over the years, John, that the Pacers can't guard a Jimmy Butler, they can't guard a Jason Tatum, they can't guard those big scoring type of wings? A guy like Jairus Walker can do that for you. He was the best player in college basketball last year as far as defending uh, weak side, protecting the rim, one-on-one, pick-and-roll situations. He really can do it all for them. So I think if he's on the board at seven, you run up the card for him. He's up, I think he has untapped upside, too, offensively. He averaged 12 points per game as the third option for Houston last year. And I think Taylor Hendricks, he shot 39% from three for UCF this past year. He's a guy to me, he averaged over two blocks per game. For Central Florida, as a stretch 4-5 type, he would fit very well next to Miles Turner, too. So I would say as far as getting a defensive identity in here, kind of more so knowing what you're getting with two high-floor prospects, I think Juris Walker and Taylor Hendricks certainly fit the bill there. I think Pacers fans should get familiar with those guys because I think one of those two guys, very likely, will probably be a Pacer on draft. Next. What do you think about these Thompson twins? Interesting. I would say they're very interesting. I'm a little bit worried about them. Maybe I'm more so on the trepidatious side because I've seen prospects like a Josh Jackson, for example, in 2017 for Kansas, super athletic guy, very lengthy wing, but he didn't really know how to fit into the NBA as far as his role offensively and defensively. Asar and Amen Thompson. Amen Thompson is a combo guard, 6'7", so is Asar. But I think Asar Thompson would fit this team a lot better as far as the wing position goes. But those guys Surprisingly enough, they are actually older than Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. They both will be 21 years old next season. Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks will be 20 years old at the start of next season. So they have almost a year more of experience on them. But I think those those guys, especially in the overtime elite league, it's hard to judge exactly what kind of talent they're going against. So 
I'm a little bit more on the cooler side with the Thompson twins because I want to see how they translate first. But the athleticism, the defense potential, the shooting, the creation ability, it's all there for him. But it's going to be kind of a project type of thing if you want to roll the dice there. I've seen a lot regarding Anthony Black, and obviously you saw a lot of him with Arkansas's tournament run if you didn't watch them within the SEC over the course of the season. What do you think about his game translating to the NBA level? I actually really like him. I think he's going to be a good combo guard in the NBA. He can play the two, can play the three in small ball lineups there. Uh, he's a guy to me is aggressive scorer and he's a very savvy creator as well. He's underrated in that aspect. Eric Musselman let him create more as the season went on. I think as far as his fit in the NBA, he's going to be, I think an immediate guy that can translate his scoring ability into the NBA defensively. He's kind of be a work in progress for him. Indiana, if they didn't have a guy like Andrew Nemhart, I think Anthony Black would be a fantastic fit in Indiana, actually. But with Andrew Nemhart already here kind of filling that same role, I doubt he's really an option. But I know Anthony Black did mention today, as did Asar Thompson, that they both are meeting with the Pacers this week at the Combine. That's Evan Sidery, basketball news and Forbes covering the NBA, the NBA draft lottery. And what is going to be the upcoming offseason once the NBA Finals are complete with the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 1 tonight, and the West back at it with Game 2, and the Nuggets up a game in that best of seven out West coming up at tomorrow night again from Denver. All right, uh, any other names uh, in that, that level vicinity maybe that could end up surprising? And then after that, I kind of want to get to, because you brought up Andrew Nemhart. And where the Pacers got him a year ago, and that turned out to be really good because he played well past that draft status. Is there a player in that range where the Pacers could end up drafting, for example, if they do keep you know, a selection at the end of round number one, if they do fall back in round number two, are there any players, I know they say of value, I don't know if I want to use that particular term, but any players of interest that might be hovering around where they found Andrew Nimhart this, this, almost this time a year ago? Yeah, starting off with the first part, as far as maybe another name at number seven goes, Cam Whitmore of Villanova real quickly. He averaged 13 points per game at Villanova. He's an okay defender. He's kind of stylistically on offense. He's kind of reminds me of Benedict Matherin as far as his ability to drive to the rim, an explosive athlete. His jump shot is nowhere close to a guy like Benedict Matherin. Uh, Whitmore shot 34% from three for Villanova this past season. But as far as untapped offensive upside and defensive upside, He's only 18 years old, so if he does hit, he's going to hit pretty big. He could be your long-term small forward next to Matherin and Halbert, and that'd be a really, really fun trio there. But he's a guy to me you could watch out for at seven. I think he checks a lot of those boxes, too, as well. So I would say for Pacers fans, I think the four I would look out for would be Cam Whitmore. It would be as well Asar Thompson, Taylor Hendricks, and Jairus Walker. I think between those four guys, you can't really go wrong at seven. I would lean more towards Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks just based off their defensive potential and how much this roster needs it. But I think those four would be what you're choosing from there. And then as far as the late first round types, there's a couple names I like, but one I'll mention here is Gigi Jackson, a wing out of South Carolina. Six foot eight with a seven plus foot wingspan, developing offensive game, a good defender as well, can play make. Kind of the late first round, early second round is kind of where I want to roll the dice on upside guys. He has an immense athletic profile. He has a huge wingspan, too. He'd be a great guy you could develop off your bench there. It could be a 3-4 type of wing. This kind of offseason and draft period, John, for me, for the Pacers, as far as trades, free agency, draft, I would just draft and supply as many wings to this roster as possible because that's what you're missing right now is guys between six foot seven to six foot ten that can guard that can shoot the basketball i know every team needs that but especially the pacers they have a lot of guards they have a lot of bigs they need to kind of consolidate this roster to the point where you have about two or three or four wings that you can trust in that lineup there and pacers might have one or two right now you think Portland's going to adjust everybody's thinking at number three with their selection, considering what you hear right now of how they want to continue to try to build a championship roster surrounding Damian Lillard? Yeah, I would be, if they were truly believe, like saying that, if they really want to follow the words they're saying and put that into action, I would be surprised if they kept that third overall pick, whether it be Scoot Henderson if Charlotte doesn't take him, or it's Brandon Miller from Alabama at three. I keep coming back to Pascal Siakam with Toronto. That could be a guy to watch out for there to potentially trade that third overall pick to. Toronto might be rebuilding. They could be offloading Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, potentially Pascal Siakam too if they want to blow it all up there. 
So if they really want to help Damian Lillard, I certainly would think they would trade it for an all-star level player like a Siakam, maybe a Carl Anthony Towns with how Minnesota and that roster is looking. Maybe you could offload him with that contract. Maybe that can make some sense there. But if you stay and draft a guy at three, I don't know how you can sell to Damian Lillard and say, hey, give Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller two or three more years and we'll be ready to compete for a playoff spot or compete for a consistent playoff contender. I just don't know how you can sell to Damian Lillard here. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. If they don't find a legitimate all-star player in the trade market, I would not be surprised if Damian Lillard was actually traded. Because I think the timelines are not really matching up here unless they pull it off. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a lot of speculation we hear so far, too, and it does ultimately make a lot of sense. So... Can you qualify whatsoever just the incredible luck San Antonio has had over the years in the draft lottery? It's insane, isn't it? David Robinson, then you get hurt for one year, they do that and get Tim Duncan in the lottery, and now you trade DeJounte Murray, you're pretty obviously openly tanking this uh, this past season. You get you trade DeJounte Murray for nothing in return except future draft picks, so they have no real star on their roster, no real all-star level talent. Luckily enough for them, they get a top three odds tied for – First in the odds at 14%. They get the lottery luck once again. The NBA just shines down San Antonio, John. I wish Indiana could get the same luck because I, <laughs> yeah. I really thought last night, after all these years and how the Pacers played this season, all the, the lottery luck and karma I thought was on their side. But maybe down the road, if that happens, hopefully for Pacers fans, this is the last year they are in the lottery for a while. So maybe that's that's more here or there. But I, I, this is incredible what San Antonio does because they now get – Arguably the three most generational big men outside Shaquille O'Neal in, in a draft with David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Victor Wembanyama. It's truly crazy, crazy luck. Well, I've had to put up with a lot of trade assets and draft capital and all that crap over the past year or so. So hopefully it turns out to where they start putting together something consistently a winner on the court and I don't have to deal with that. Or at least there was a reason why I had to deal with it as long as I did. Because frankly, I'm worn out with it. I'm ready to move on. Well, I think the good thing here is that pretty openly, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, oh, Pacers, Pacers front office people have been saying, like, next year they want to push for the playoffs. We know they're making calls at the deadline. They were interested in a guy like OG and Anobi. That ultimately did not happen there. But this team with Tyrese Halliburton last year was a 500 team. With, with Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton on the court last year, John, they were on pace if they would have played all 82 games together for a 45-win season with just those two guys playing together. So this team, I think, is ready to win right now. I, I think they could be a 45-plus win team next year. Tyrese Halliburton, I think, has shown this past season he's a transcendent offensive talent. He can really elevate everyone around him, which I think is going to make Indiana a destination eventually, which could really help out there. But with Halliburton on board here, with him being a 20-10 and 10 guy, with Miles Turner showing he's a great fit with, with him, Benedict Matherin ascending, and you get this number seven overall pick this upcoming draft, John, you're in a very good spot where in about a year or two, you could be a consistent 45-50 win team. I think this team has shown, and we're kind of hearing it outwardly, that they're going to be a very, very aggressive team this offseason. Evan Sidery joins us, and you spent a lot of time covering the Phoenix Suns as well. Um, they went out like a lead balloon in the NBA post season out west and now i'm assuming are we just going to rearrange some deck chairs in in terms of budenholzer and monty williams and doc rivers what's all going to go on here you think yeah it's incredible the coaching movement and then like you see four really prestigious coaches on the open market multiple championship winning coaches as well nick nurse mike budenholzer monty williams doc rivers very surprising. Now we're hearing Tyron Lue with the Clippers. He could be wanting out of the Clippers and getting himself in the open market as well. So it's going to be crazy. This whole offseason of coaching movement, a player movement with the new CBA going into, into effect next year in 2024-25. I think we're in for a historical summer as far as a lot of teams being active, reshuffling the deck chairs like you mentioned. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of movement. And as far as coaching goes, I think we see the Suns, for example, go out and get like a Nick Nurse or a Tyron Lue, probably Monty Williams, ending up in Milwaukee, Mike Boonholzer ending up where there's another opening. It, it is just crazy. All, like, I'm talking in circles here about all these coaches because the, the amount of movement, we're, on, we're not even through the playoffs yet. We could maybe see another coach fire. Who knows? Yeah, it's, it, it made me laugh last night because in social media, immediately after San Antonio found out that they won the lottery again, everybody starts saying, well, you know, now Greg Popovich is going to be a great coach again. And when you look at, certainly in this era, history of the NBA Finals, other than really Detroit in 04, if you don't have great players, you're not winning squat. 
So it goes with everybody. And really, it even goes back further than that. It's not like this is new new ground we've entered here. But to suggest that somebody is not a really good coach or they should be taken down a slot because they have really good players sounds incredibly stupid and short-sighted to me. Yeah, 100%. And what's funny enough is I, I, I don't know if Greg Popovich would have coached his team pass next year if they wouldn't have won the lottery. I think he was really holding out hope for them to get Wembenyama to kind of reset that franchise and to help them out there. And I would not be surprised if Greg Popovich coaches three or four more years now just solely based off Wembenyama coming there because he's, from all indications, from everyone in the NBA, it sounds like he is legitimately like a LeBron-level type of prospect. He's going to walk in and change San Antonio. It's a lot of pressure on him. But what this all we've heard the last two or three years of this kid is just unreal. The talent, we've seen it on highlights, we've seen it in games, and now we want to see a transit to the NBA there. But I, I think, like you mentioned, as far as the Ross construction point, you need those stars. You can't really do it with middling-tier players. And that's really what the big swing of the lottery is, is you really change your hopes overnight when you when you get those lottery balls right. All right, final minute here with Evan Sidery. Any players that may become available because of upheaval, because of changes within their teams and organizations that right now we sit here and talk and we're not aware of? Anybody that maybe you're going to keep an eye on? Yeah, a couple I'll throw out there real quick. Julius Randle with the New York Knicks. I just think that's Jalen Brunson's team now. I think if you want to see more of Obi Toppin or if you want to see more of some younger players in New York, I would not be surprised they traded Julius Randle this summer for a lower price. DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix, I think that marriage is over as well. Same with Chris Paul. I think both on the move there. And two stars I'd watch out for just based off of their overall timelines Trey Young in Atlanta we've heard a lot of smoke there the last year or so with the tensious relationship there and in Carl Anthony Towns after that whole Rudy Gobert trade exploded in their face they have no flexibility and no assets really left to do so if they fail next year or if they want to do it earlier I would not be shocked if they trade Carl Anthony Towns for a big price either Evan Sidery Forbes Sports SB Nation you can find him at Basketball News as well going over last night's NBA Draft Lottery and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline always a pleasure Evan I appreciate that we'll check in again soon absolutely anytime appreciate it whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you Andy Moore automotive group hotline my bad drew it's not the first time that i'd be working inaccurately here with information. So Kevin Bowen of the morning show, Kevin inquiry weekday morning, seven until 10 a.m. joins us now. Not the first time, won't be the last time. You know what I mean? Kev, are you there? Hello? Over? Yeah, sorry about that. I had you on mute for some reason. Um, yeah, I can't understand. I, I, you know, I, I search and wonder why you had me on mute. Yeah. <laughs> so what you do? You told Drew Store and he bid a lot of money when he didn't bid any? Yeah. I said Drew Storen won a bid on a car at Meekum a couple of years ago. And then he texted me and said, wait, what? <laughs> well, at least I should have just, just bullcrapped about it and said he did. Yeah, it was a 1970 Plymouth Roadrunner. And Drew Storen won the bid. It was for $125,000. Not just making that up, but... I could have. I was gonna say I can't can't imagine anything over Meekums. Yeah, yeah, nice used car buy here for twenty grand, fifteen grand. So now, what would Maddie do if you went out there and you bid and won a bid on an '84 Gold Pontiac two seat Fiero? Uh, would she be happy or sad? Oh, uh, for sure, sad. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like just from a financial standpoint, um, I'm probably more in the like. Give me economic savings. Give me the best mileage. I, I've been Honda Accord, Honda Civic my whole uh, life. I'm not. Um, I'm not one for the glitz and glamour car. Well, uh, given the fact this is an Andy Moore Buick GMC show, I think you need to change your ways and do it immediately. <laughs> but I understand what you're always talking about. Always be closing. Remember that. Get, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Watch it sometime. Always be closing. Remember that. Okay, got it. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So you guys go for the affordability, the gas mileage, and all that? I get it. I do. Yeah, boring as hell. And honestly, we're about to get into a little bit more of a space, um, you know, with, with two kids. I mean, you're going to get a van? What, what are you going to get a van? Oh, no. 
I don't know. I'd like to stay away from that as long as possible. I mean, certainly if we have a third, I, I, I feel like you got to go that path. But, you know, right now we can make it work with, with, with what we're dealing with right now. But space is uh, at a premium, especially if you do any, like, you know, road trips like Carwa. I mean, if you do trips to – I mean, hell, we went to Cincinnati a few months ago. And, I mean, packing that thing, you know, busting up the seams. Um, we, you know, my wife bought a van for us before we had kids. It was weird. Oh, wow. It was a Pontiac, Montana, and it broke down in the middle of an intersection down at Sheik Road and Main Street in Greenwood, and that was the last time it was ever driven. <laughs> <laughs> this was back in the uh, mid, no, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe 2002 or three or something like that. I have no idea why. I don't know so why I let born. that happen. I think it's one of those things where I have selective hearing, and oftentimes, just to get it to go away, I'll go, yeah, okay, whatever. I think it's one of those things where, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about going out and buying a van. What do you think? I think I responded with, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, quite the thing to have selective hearing on. Selective hearing. Then we had a van. I was laughing at the buy the minivan before the kids show up, and then it yeah. breaks down before the kids show up, right? Yeah, we drove that thing to uh, uh, Outer Banks once. 2003, Outer Banks vacation, which was a great time. A great time. Outer Banks, that's yeah. fun. I've, that's first and only time I was there. But uh, we stopped on the way in... Um, and uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is the backdrop for the Andy Griffith Show, and stayed in the uh, Andy Griffith Show Hotel. Motel. Actually, Mo. You know, the motel has the swimming pool in the parking lot. It was a motel, not a hotel. My in uh, laws do a family reunion every other year, and they did Outer Banks, I want to say once, maybe twice. It was just, I think the difficulty, they, they loved it, but the difficulty is just getting there. Um. Obviously, from a flight standpoint, if you're flying, they had some people that moved a little bit further away. So, uh, but yeah, they, they said they had a great time down there. Yeah, it was. It was hot. It was like 95 degrees every day, literally every day. I think we went in late July, which is probably normal for them there. But it was. It was a good time. Ate ate a ton of crab. Had some crab boils. That's uh, synonymous crab boil com- or country right there. Before obviously you get, you know, up to Virginia and the coast of Maryland right there, known for crabs and crab not those type of crabs, crab cakes, blue crab and such. But uh, it was a great time. I'll do it again. My brother-in-law, I think that was the trip where he, my younger brother-in-law, Ross, he did the um, Dumb and Dumber Jim Carrey, uh, did not mm-hmm. take the exit, and it was uh, the correct exit, I should say, and it was like midnight, 1 a.m., so he was doing the, the night driving shift, and boom, <laughs> his dad wakes up four hours later and it's like, where the hell are we? <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, that's always good stuff right there. Where are we? <laughs> That's good. Hey, was last night an entertaining loss or an entertaining win? What was it? What was last night to you? Because it was like they didn't win in the lottery. Uh, they didn't move up in the lottery, so they really they didn't lose anything. But was that kind of like an entertaining loss this past season for the Pacers? Yeah, I, I know how much you love the entertaining love loss it. Um, phrase there. So, yeah, it probably qualifies as that. I guess you did, what, you moved up 18 spots in the second round. So, or it could have been 50, yeah. and, and it was 32. Um, yeah, I think if you looked at the odds going into last night, I think eight was the most popular pick. I think I was like 35% chance. So, no one jumped you. Uh, if you want to look at your division, which I don't know, in the NBA, I don't really focus too much on the division, but I guess the fact that, you didn't have um, Detroit get one of the top three picks or the number one pick is a win uh, and then fall into five. Obviously, seeing Ben Wallace's face had to steer a lot of emotions for Pacers fans. So, yeah, all, all in all, I think it was about kind of what you deserve with the season that you had and, and certainly how you approach things once Halliburton suffered his injury. And and now you've got a, a, a ton of, to use the Kevin Pritchard word that he loves, optionality with, you know, the three picks, 26, 29, and 32, and then obviously number seven. I feel like this time last year, John, it was like a foregone conclusion that you would draft at number six, like you would spend that pick on a rookie and, and, and try and grow that timeline with Halliburton. Whereas this year, I don't think it's just an outright slam dunk that you immediately say, all right, boom, you're going to draft a guy at seven, and that's going to be the pick. I think you have a little bit more – just kind of open-mindedness to how you want to maneuver based off how successful this past season was in terms of the rebuild. 
If you were Kevin Pritchard last night, would you let that be known that, hey, you know what, we were close, I was really excited, we were getting close, and then uh, it just didn't happen? Would you have done that or just kept that to yourself? Yeah, I mean, selfishly, it, it makes for a great story, so I appreciate it. And for what it's worth, it, it later would have, I think, come out in stories. I know Zach Lowe sure, right. uh, mentioned that in his story. So I, I've always appreciated Kevin Kevin Pritchard's candidness in those settings. Um I think the wild one was, did you catch Washington? So Washington and Indiana, obviously, were tied at the end of the season, same right. record. And of the, you know, once you got through the first three numbers, I think there was like 11 or 12 different combinations that it could have been for that final number. And I think Washington had six of the 11 available numbers. The Pacers had one of the 11 and San Antonio gets it. I mean, if you were Washington right now, which, again, they went in the night with worse odds, just slightly worse, than the Pacers. Um, so in that market, I mean, talk about they need an injection of life desperately into their franchise. So, yeah, I mean, that, it's kind of typical typical Kevin. Um, I appreciate him sharing the story. But, uh, yeah, I guess what could have been. Do you have a, in your group of friends growing up, did you have one friend that was kind of like San Antonio? And what I mean by that is you guys all go out – Everybody gets in trouble but his ass. Everybody has yeah. to run laps after mm-hmm. practice, stair laps because of him. Uh, maybe even further, further down the road as you get older, everybody goes to jail but him. Did you have a San Antonio friend in your life growing up? Yeah, J- Jack Lupo got got and and maybe still gets away with everything. Yeah, uh-huh. doesn't that just piss? I, I, uh, David Hayes is mine. I mean, da- we call it getting hazed. We all Did- we all get in trouble. May or may not have gone to jail. We all do that, and then you know he goes to Taco Bell, and everything's okay. How's that work? <laughs> the only thing that makes me somewhat side with San Antonio, or at least like not be just like, man, that just pisses me off, is the fact that they are in that market. You know, when you look at NBA markets, they're probably one of just a few. I, I can't think of many. Memphis, I guess, Oklahoma City. That it's probably the only. It's the only. You know, major professional sports franchise in town. And, yes, Duncan and Robinson, boom, boom. But, like, have they had players that we hate? I mean, I don't think anyone hates Tim Duncan. I don't think anyone hated David Robinson. I enjoyed watching Manu Ginobili. Well, everybody play. chooses to hate Greg Popovich, and they hate Greg yeah, Popovich, Popovich because he's he, he is uh, uh, politically motivated. Oftentimes, and he goes outside the realm of sports, and that's that. You know, that's why people will come at him as, hey, you know, he's not a good coach. He just gets luck. Well, listen, if you are a championship-winning coach, and you're not Detroit and Larry Brown in one year, you've had high-level, elite-level talent as a part of your team. That's just the way that it is. Sure, and, and again, we just naturally hate teams that have that type of success. I, I think there's like this growing venom towards the the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey brings some of that upon that but I mean like it's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid I mean that's not Belichick and Brady to me so I, I you know naturally you just you're gonna have that when you have the amount of success that they've had but and it's wild to think if I'm not mistaken Boris Diaw is like an owner in the team that Victor Webinyama plays for I mean that aspect to it obviously Diaw played for them for quite a while certainly the Tony Parker connection and then Ginobili, from an international sense, I'm a little bummed, and this is just strictly selfishly. You know, I would have loved to have seen Detroit and or Charlotte just because that would have been more Webinyama games uh, here in Indy. Now, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fans in this market that said, yeah, I, I watch Brady and LeBron enough or, or Michael enough uh, in this city that I'm good. But, you know, we're only going to get them one night out of the year. Um, so that is a little bit of a bummer on that end. I guess central time zone. So, you know, we'll, we'll obviously see a, probably a little bit more nationally from him. Um, but, yeah, certainly San Antonio, I think, has risen on the meter of of just natural. They get everything. Yeah, especially with that. But, you know what, over the years they've also done themselves really good. I mean, they've hit on uh, oh, overseas sure. players that – I mean, you think about that in terms of of the Pacers, you know, kind of storing somebody away or drafting on the future of a player overseas. Or, or for that matter, just watching Nikola Jokic play, you know, 41 and 14 is what he was. And he is so dominant. And I hate to say this because I'm going to come off sounding like an ESPN morning show, and I don't want to do that. But 
How in the world does he not get more hype out of a game like last night? And I, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. How do you judge what level of hype? Honestly, how many other players across the NBA landscape everybody's going absolutely crazy over and it's oh oh by the way you know Jokic with his triple double that was a huge triple double and he just controls the entire game for somebody that you know is you know very conventionally back in the day would have been a five playing in a low post I, I I still think more should be made out of that and for some reason it isn't I mean, he literally did something last night that no NBA player has done in a game, playoff or regular season game, since Wilt Chamberlain. Yes. And if there's like, any category we'd all, as dudes, love to be a part of, it's a Wilt Chamberlain category. <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly off the floor. Um, <laughs> I mean, look at what he did last night, and what's the one highlight that they will show on Center? It will be the three over Anthony Davis. And, like, that, I think, is the bummer to it all of it's not a guy that has four or five dunks in a game. It's not someone that, you know, is hitting threes out to whatever, the volleyball line like Steph Curry does. Um, You know, to me, John, it it just – one of the games I went to this year for the Pacers was against Denver, and we were able to sit pretty close. And you just watch him on the floor. And, And, you know, certainly his height is an advantage. That's probably where you would, like, cross off the – physical attribute advantages that he has compared to most NBA players. I think the thing that stands out to me the most and is just super rare, whether it's as a shooter, as a passer, or as a rebounder, he is his feel for all three of those things, shooting, rebounding, and passing, is the best on the floor pretty much every time. There might be some better shooters or you know, out there than than him, but there's definitely not more than three or four guys. And then as a passer and as a, just having that knack for knowing where the ball is bouncing and just as a rebounder, it, that part of the game I think is sometimes overlooked. He just positions himself so well. You know, guys just don't check all three of those boxes. It's so rare. And then guys that do it don't usually stand, you know, seven foot and whatever he weighs. So, um, yeah, the game last night just absolutely absurd. And um, he is he's a special, special player to watch. And, um his feel in all of those facets. I mean, he's a walking triple-double, and now he's – I think he's a game away from – if he gets one more triple-double, he'll tie the NBA record for the postseason, and we're not even talking about them in the finals yet. I mean, he's going to have multiple games here in the Western Conference Finals to try and achieve that, and, and he still could you know, potentially play in the NBA Finals and just uh, add to that. So, yeah, it, it probably – to your question, John, probably just goes back to the lack of the individual highlights, but how can you not be a fan of basketball and not enjoy – controls everything. Yeah, just controls yeah. absolutely everything. And that's – I, I mean, everything. At, at all times. I, I can just – like, being a lover of basketball as I am, imagine playing with somebody like that where he's going to deliver the ball where you need it, where you can score. I mean, the way that – you know, this is overused, but the way he facilitates – um, you know, at that height, um, it, yeah. it's just it, it's amazing with what he does. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm making too much out of it, making too much out of not enough being made out of him in that performance last night. Hey, as a Reds fan, I want to ask you this question. It's called Kevin Bowen. As a Reds fan, you make the call. Are you ready? Okay. All right. The Don't Reds, the Reds threw four and a half. The Reds threw four and a half. Five nothing over the Rockies in Denver this afternoon. Where are the Reds at the end of seven? Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I saw what happened. I saw what happened in the bottom of the fifth. Just the fact that you asked this question. Yes, and framed it the way I did purposely. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm going to imagine that the bullpen has reverted to early April. Yeah, they uh, started out four and a half, five nothing advantage. Bottom of the fourth, uh, five put on the board to tie it up by the Rockies, and at the end of seven, the Rockies lead eleven to five. So, eleven unanswered. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Eleven unanswered. <laughs> One step forward, two steps back. I mean, I think if you looked at them entering today over the last couple of weeks, they'd had one of the better records in baseball. Yeah. It didn't. Was it Ashcroft on the mound today? Let's see who was there. You know, Lodolo, by the way, is going to miss some time because he's got a, a stress fracture and a tibia. So he goes on 
the injured okay. list. Or yeah, Ashcraft was a starter. Uh, five innings, ten hits, seven runs, all earned. Three Ks. So man, yeah. Lucas Sims came in and in a third of an inning, you know, gagged up some runs there, and it's been a mess, absolutely mess since uh, the fourth inning, top of the fourth inning for them, where they led five nothing. They're now down at the end of seven, eleven uh, to five. So you know, it's funny. It's just it seems like it's enough just to kind of make some people happy, but the thing that Cincinnati fans now have they're the Bengals, and you realize that there is another side that the worst and really for a long term time the worst can turn into if not the best close to the best, and hopefully you, know, you get fans in Cincinnati starting to hold you know the Reds accountable. I I feel that way about the Colts around here. I mean, because you know this as well. There have been so many promises made and not very much, if at all, follow through here. So they're going to have to get on and start humping it because they owe this fan base here a great deal. Yeah, we always play the audio clip. What, what What's um, what the owner's son? Yeah. Name who, you know, where else are you going to go? Well, yeah, they can save up for Bengals tickets this year. You know, if you would have told me, uh, you know, here we are, especially after the way the season started, you know, mid-May and the Pacers or the Reds are looking down on the Cardinals. The Cardinals are well below them in the standings. And they'd be tied to the Cubs. I would have said, you know, sign up for it. But sure. Obviously, the Brewers, I think everybody expected, but certainly the Pirates have been a huge, huge surprise. But, yeah, I mean, you got competition in town. And, you know, it's going to be interesting here in this market, John, just to see now the arms race with, obviously, the Pacers have got a head start. Um, but it's, I think it's more difficult to build a build a sustained winner in a market like this in the NBA than it is in the NFL, especially when you talk about the division and the importance of the division and the fact the AFC South is as awful as it is and has been. So it, it will be, um, you know, certainly I think fans naturally that are listening to you right now, like are obviously fans of both teams, but certainly there's some competitive spirits within. Those two organizations, particularly probably in their sales departments, and knowing that that the dollar for you know entertainment is something that is not always a given, um, that'll be uh, that'll be something to watch here over the next you know handful of seasons. Isaiah McKenzie joined me a little bit earlier. Granted, he's had like two days of a look see at Anthony Richardson, a quarterback, but you know I kind of relied on his past with with Josh Allen a little bit and the maturation and the growth of that quarterback into what he is right now. And I wanted him to put that in terms of you know you know Anthony Richardson. And again, he's got a, a very short amount of time that he's seen Richardson for two days but does it kind of come across as maybe things or is it us maybe it's just us but it kind of sounds like things are being framed to do their best to make sure that Richardson is that opening week starter under center for the Colts is that the way you get it or is that just us no, I think there's there's definitely some some stuff you could read into to kind of go down that path. I I kind of found it interesting today. We, we talked to Gardner Minshew, and it's the first time we talked with him since Richardson was drafted. And Minshew worked out with him um, actually before either of them were were Colts earlier in the offseason. They both went to the same quarterback coach in Florida, and you know there are a couple questions that that I wanted to ask Minshew. One was just you know, what did that rookie playing time do for him? I mean, he started 12 games as a rookie. Nick Foles got hurt in week one for Jacksonville in 2019. And, you know, Minshew, as a six-round pick, obviously was not supposed to get that much early time. But, I mean, he could not stop. I mean, he was, you know, gushing and talking about how important that was for him as a rookie to get that experience and how you have to have the reps and you never truly know and all those things. And, again, this is a guy that started a whole lot in college whereas Richardson doesn't enter the NFL with that same sort of resume. Um, and then the other question that I kind of found interesting with his answer, and Minshew is a really – have you had him on, John? Gardner Minshew? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we ended up talking about a lot less football and a lot more like yeah. him playing the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is a great person. He is a great I mean, personality, he is, yeah. He is – Hilarious, really, and does it in a in a in kind of a funny manner, just about how a bit self-deprecating at times. And you know, quite it seemed like he was in a good mood. So the question I just threw out there was, 
Hey, this might seem like a ridiculous question to even ask, but you've watched Anthony Richardson for a few days. You've been with him now in practice. You obviously worked out with him a bit. Do you see any similarities between your your games? And he said one of the things that he feels like is similar is for how big Richardson is, when they do kind of the RPO stuff and they do a lot of, you know, kind of quicker footwork things, he seemed he, he was kind of like he moves like a smaller guy and he processes really well he's able to on the rpo stuff kind of know where the decision making needs to be and make that pretty decisively and basically he was saying with big guys they typically you know that isn't always there for them i think when you watch richardson throw as well you know kind of always felt this way like you know usually quarterbacks make good short stops like they just have kind of that 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 nice pretty looking motion i feel like richardson kind of has some of that and again with big guys I don't think you always think that. So uh, even Minshew, the guy that he's competing with, is like, oh, no. I mean, he he does some things that maybe you would want to sit a rookie and let him learn. He does those things really well. And then from his own personal experience, false starts as a rookie was super beneficial to Gardner Minshew and his development. Uh, And obviously – it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the reps get divvied up this spring and and come training camp between those two. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I kind of get mixed up. Maybe it's it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe we listen to ourselves too much about what we want, uh, and maybe not so much what Bob Kravitz wants out of this, right? Because he he doesn't <laughs> feel the need to get that clock started on the rookie quarterback as quickly as we do. But that's just kind of the way I've felt, I guess, so far. But very early stages. What do you guys got on the show tomorrow? We've got Pato Ward. Uh, so we've kind of had our, 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 yes. our round of Errol McLaren drivers. So, yeah, we've got Pato Award on tomorrow and Alexander Rossi on Friday. So looking forward to uh, to those conversations. Jake and, and Mark have been outstanding getting drivers on for us. It's been a busy week. Alex Blow to start the week. Tony got on. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to that conversation. Because I think Pato is, is really – I don't know, John. I mean, Jake can probably speak better to this answer, but – I think like the best case winner for IndyCar moving forward it, to me on a week from Sunday, it, it, I think it'd make a really strong case. It is Pato Ward, um, considering where he's from, considering a little bit of the F1 interest, and I think he's a great personality. Watching that hundred days to Indy has uh, really been enlightening to get to know him and some of the other drivers better. So, yep, we got Pato Ward. I think it's eight forty-five tomorrow. You got it. It's Kevin Bowen Morning Show. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Pleasure, man. Tell The Fan I said hello. All right. right, will do, John. Thank you.